sometimes you gotta stay Good everybody, this is P Though Matters, Guy Radio 97.3 FM in the great state of Seattle. We got a great show for you guys again today. We got our friends and uh, their sponsors of the show. They've been with us for uh, quite a long time now, which is great. They cover a lot of things. It's uh, C-Town, electric, plumbing, heating, and air. You can find them uh, if you want to check them out on the website. We'll get get a pad of paper and a pencil, uh, but you can go check them out at ctownservices.com. Uh, today, because we're in the winter, uh, we're talking all about uh, wintertime cold, power outages, furnaces, things like that. Uh, that's our discussion for today. I got a couple of fellows uh, on the show here. We have uh, Kurt Hodge, who's a journeyman electrician. Kurt, uh, it's good to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. And it's a big shout out to all the journeymen, electricians, and plumbers out there. You guys, uh, I love you. Uh, the fact that you chose the trades, and uh, it's a great way to make a living. And uh, if there's any younger people listening out there, I highly recommend looking into going into the trades. We have a massive shortage in the United States of America, and it's something that uh, it's a great career. So. Then we also have uh, back, I guess this is the third time now, uh, Cody Martin, who's a HVAC. Are you, Cody, are you the, the tech man, uh, the manager? Yes. Okay. That's what I, I want to make sure I got that right. So it's good to have you back on the show again. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah. All right. So first part of the show, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, power outages. Now, you guys that all live up in the great uh, Seattle area, <clears throat> doesn't matter, in the Puget Sound area. Uh, what we've had, uh, November 17th, we had a big blower and a power outage, November 30th. Then we had, I think, November 30th and December 4th. Uh, Kurt, wasn't that snowstorms and not power outages? Yeah, the snowstorm was almost as bad as the windstorm as far as the power outages go. Yeah. Just, it snowed so much and then it warmed up and made it all heavy and trees are falling all over the place. Yeah. So. It was crazy. And I, I had looked it up because I, I know there was different areas, obviously, if you're more rural, but there was people a lot that had power out over 13 hours. They were out for yeah, many, I mean, many I hours. Live, I live in a spot in Lake Stevens where you don't lose power hardly at all. We were, I think we were out over 24 hours. Am wow. I, it wow. looked like a war zone out there when you're driving yeah. around. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, we're going to talk about standby generators. I learned my lesson the hard way because I used to live out in Woodby Island for years when my boys were growing up. And uh, I had a Toyota truck, and I used to have to carry a chainsaw to cut trees off the road to get to the oh, yeah. ferry boat. I worked at Fluke Electronics, but the first winter I was there, uh, power was out for over a week one time, and I went, never again. <laughs> Is that going to happen? So I got a standby generator and the interlock set up, which we're going to talk about today, and boy, was that a lifesaver. So Yeah, it's kind of people's reaction um, the last few weeks is like, it's happened once, and I don't want it to happen again. I don't so want it, yeah. Well, we prevent this. None of that too, Kurt, but I'm sure you're in the same same boat. A lot of people have, you know, a couple freezers. Oh, yeah. And, you know, then all the food, what are they going to do with it? It all goes bad, you know? Yeah, throw it away, and yeah. yeah. yeah that's that's expensive. Not to not to mention all the, you know, freezing to death. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's not a good place to be. Plus, the other thing, and I'm not not to be a conspiracy theorist, but there was uh, some substation attacks, PSC reported, uh, on the grid up there in Washington State, too. So you combine all these kinds of things. This is the reason why we're talking about this um, now, so that you can be self-sufficient. And when the power does go off, you have an automatic kick in. So. With that, Kurt, I want to talk about um, 
Now, a lot of people, you know, have portable generators. We're not talking about that. Um, and really, if I look at kind of, and we're going to get into this more, but it's very cost effective to get a standby, a home standby generator uh, versus a portable. Plus, you don't have to deal with the carbon monoxide poisoning hazard, which there's still several deaths a year around the United States from people doing that in their garage. Yeah, putting them in their garage with the doors closed. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think uh, it was uh, there's something like, I don't know, over 100 people die a year, and it's been since 2005, which is sad. But, yeah, if you do have a portable one, do not put it in your garage and, and fire it. Yeah, and then when you get to standby, we have so many specific code requirements um, for clearances and the exhaust going away from yeah. the house and all that. And that all obviously gets inspected and looked at. So when that setup is done properly, um, you don't have to worry about any of those hazards. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a second. But I want to start kind of at the one-on-one because a lot of people, we probably they're, they perk their ears up a little bit here. So... Kirk, can you tell us a little bit about like what is a home standby generator and how is it different from a portable generator? Yeah, so they have a f- they have several different options of home standby generators from different size of generators to different size transfer switches. Um, I'd say one of the most popular ones, especially out in the woodsy areas that are losing power quite often this time of year, um, they're all ran off propane and they control the entire house. So when the power goes out, it's a whole home transfer switch setup. So that senses that utility power is gone. It flips a switch in the transfer switch, and then it triggers a generator to turn on by itself. So you virtually do nothing. And even homes that have electric heat and hot tubs and um, hard pulling appliances and that kind of thing, um, we basically provide load sheds to put those heavier pulling appliances on um, those sheds. So that way, when the generator kicks on, it kind of spaces out the startup of all those, and you could turn off your hot tub and your AC to not run while the generator is running. Um, to utilize the power where you actually need it when the power's out. Okay. Now, and we'll get into a load shed in just a sec. Is a load shed basically load balancing? Is that similar to a load balance system? Yeah, it'll space out the startup of hard pulling appliances so you don't have that initial draw of everything right at once. Right. Uh, space five minutes, and you can prioritize which ones start first. And then you could also turn them off when it's on generator power because obviously you don't need your hot tub or something like that running. When the power is out. So you would make those ones so they don't even come on when the generator is on. And it uh, helps um, it helps you choose the right generator for your home. You can go with a smaller generator if you have load sheds on your bigger stuff and save some costs that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. So since we're talking about the load sheds, so let's say I'm out, you know, and I'm uh, in my hot tub or something that's pulling a lot of kilowatts and the power goes out. How How does that, first of all, I guess I want to ask, from a standby generator, how fast does it kick in? Like, is it a few milliseconds? Uh, what, when, when does it make the transfer over? I believe the transfer switch is programmed to make it switch over after 15 seconds because it doesn't want to okay. turn the generator on and off with every flicker. So I believe it's 15 or 30 seconds where it'll okay. actually trigger the generator to turn on. And then once utility power comes on, it's instant. It's right as soon as that power comes back on, it's back to utility power. Okay. And then the generator runs a cool-off cycle and turns itself off. And Kurt, can you explain, because that's an important point you just made. So for the generator to kick off right away when the power uh, comes back on, why is that important from a safety standpoint for like the linemen out there? Well, they want it detached. They want you to, you want the utility power completely detached from generator power. That way, when the power is out and your generator is on, you're not backfeeding the power lines. Cause at that point, yeah, you're backfeeding everything that the power lines are supposed to be feeding. So if you have a lineman working out on the power lines and you have your generator on and it's hooked to that, you're going to be basically energizing all of them. 
Yeah. So that's been the proper, yeah, proper interlocks and everything like that for even portable generators um, is very important to do. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to turn the linemen into Christmas lights out there. No, they would be too happy it's with not us. good. <laughs> so thanks for explaining that. Okay. So basically it waits about 15 seconds. And then it, it, it signals that, okay, the power is truly off. And now it starts kicking in. Now going back to the hot tub thing, if I have different things that are pulling large loads, how does it work to step in? And then should I be as a homeowner? turning off some of those things or how does that work Kurt? No, that's what's that's what's great about these um, whole home standby systems with load sheds it basically takes all the worry off the homeowner okay. and prevents you from having to basically think about anything at all you could just continue doing what you're doing so if you're cooking or doing laundry or in the hot tub <laughs> and the power goes out and you have it set up with a generator that can't handle all of that they will just stay off while the generator is on so if you want you could do some due diligence and you could turn the dryer off or pull your clothes out or whatever but it's not necessary because Good. If it, if we have a program for those to run with it, it'll space them out so it's not bogging down the generator all at once. And then once it goes back to utility power, everything's going to fire back up, which your panel and utility power can right. accommodate that. So it makes it so you don't have to do anything as a homeowner except for sit back and relax and keep doing what you're doing, essentially. Yeah, which is great. And then I guess we're going to talk about the sizing of this, but just generally, if I want to have a generator the size that I need to run everything I want to run in the house? Are there generators large enough to, to be able to do that, or to run the hot tub, the microwave, the dryer, the all those things? Um, they do have some really big generators. Um, the typical generators for your average home from, let's just say, 1,500 square feet up to about 3,800 square feet, they range from 18 kilowatts to 24 kilowatts. Those okay. generators will run a whole home transfer switch, at which point you just, yeah, you do have to pick out your load sheds and what you want to shed <laughs> off. Okay. Um, if you go 24 and above, they have some generators that, I mean, are the size of basically Volkswagens. Yeah. Um, power like huge. Like your own power plant. Pretty much. I mean, that's <laughs> what they are. And those ones, I mean, those houses obviously have a lot more in them too. So you do yeah. have to kind of plan ahead, but they do have setups to where you could virtually run everything in your home yeah. um, or the average American home. I mean, I'm like, <clears throat> I'm sure people have some, you know, unique setups. That's like, that's, that's not practical to use when the power is up. But for the most part, yes, they have setups that can accommodate the whole okay. home. But for, for, I guess for you guys, for installing the, the home standby systems, what, like, what is a, the most popular like kilowatt range that you guys install? Um, I'd say we have, I'd say the 22 K with the 22 kilowatt with the whole home transfer switch is popular, but also the smaller generators with the smaller transfer switches, I'd say those are just as popular too, because we do a lot of seven to 10 K generators and they're still on an automatic transfer switch, but they're just not a whole home transfer switch. They're at 10, a 16. And I think there's an eight space actually too. So you could go around your house and pick out the certain circuits that you want powered from the generator. Okay. Uh, you don't have to worry about load sheds or anything like that. You just pick out like your Wi-Fi circuit, your refrigerator, some general lighting circuits. Yeah. Uh, you put those on a transfer switch. And those are honestly just as popular as the whole home ones. It's kind of what you want. And people that have a lot more electric stuff in their house, like electric ovens and electric heat, they usually go with the smaller generators because you don't need a big generator to power just lights. And if you know you're not going to power your 60 amp electric furnace, there's no point in paying for that bigger generator with the whole home. But you'd be amazed how many lights and stuff you could get around your house just by picking seven to 10 circuits. If you go around your guys' house, turn off all your breakers and turn on just seven breakers, you could probably get your gas furnace, your refrigerator, and you know, majority of the lights in your home. So 
Um, a lot of people go that route as well. Okay. Sounds good. We come back. We're going to continue our discussion with Kurt Hodge, the journeyman electrician at Seatown Electric Plumbing, Heating, and Air, all about standby generators. With that, I'm Pete. This is Home Batters, Sky Radio 97.3 FM. All right. We're back. This is Pete with Home Matters, Car Radio 97.3 FM. We're having a great discussion here. Uh, the first fella that I'm talking about talking to is Kurt Hodge. He's a journeyman electrician with Seatown Electric Plumbing, Heating, and Air. It's a mouthful, but these guys, um, they do it all. If you, you know, the thing about it is, as you guys know over the years, a lot of you that have been with me since the beginning to listen to the show, uh, we only have you know, what I call best of breed here. And I have no hesitation recommending these guys to come out for any kind of electrical work, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning. Uh, they do just great work. If you, you know, I know a lot of you listen to me and you trust me, but if you want to go up and look at their website, they've got all kinds of great reviews. You can also, uh, that's at ctownservices.com, but you can also give them a call if you want to, too. It's 360-C-TOWN. If you go up to ctownservices.com, they also have, as I remember, um, there's a place where you can um, chat with them, too, because um, I was just up there the other day, which is nice because you can set up an appointment. You can chat with the friendly people there. But if you want to talk to somebody uh, there in their office, they can certainly get you connected with an appointment and uh, they'll come out, you know, troubleshoot, fix, repair, replace, do all those kinds of things. So we're going to continue our discussion with Kurt on standby generators because as you guys probably are fed up with, and I'll tell you, uh, I predict you're going to get another big snowstorm up there. There's going to be another one that's coming. Uh, there will be. Yep. Yeah. As well as another windstorm. I, I, you know, not to, I remember once a year going from Whidbey, because I always had to take the ferry boat back and forth. And once every winter, the wind was so bad that they shut the ferry boats down. <laughs> and I could, the only way I could get home was to drive all the way up past, uh, up, you know, in Skagit County to come back down through the bridge that way. But we had several power outages. And then when I, I moved to my last stop was Lake Stevens. And, uh, as you guys all know, if you live up in Lake Stevens, I think, uh, Cody does, you know, Lake Stevens every few years, four or five years will get one to two feet or more of snow. I don't know. That's a convergence zone area up there and it just dumps like crazy. So you don't want to be without power having a standby system like this that's connected either, like Cody, uh, like uh, Kurt, <clears throat> Kurt said, it can run off propane, but it can also run off natural gas too. So it's a either is a straight line in, right, Kurt? That's all a matter of what you have uh, at your house and what you can provide. So a lot of people have natural gas and they might be maxed out with their gas um, draw on their homes okay. with just normal appliances. So you can always get a secondary. So you get a smaller tank, you can run your generator off of. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> okay. So we were talking, um, uh, you had mentioned in the last segment, Kurt, about, you know, kind of the different sizes of generators that are out there. And I guess, the, you know, a lot of people, and I, I wondered this too, when I first got my generator is like, well, how do I make the right choice? So for someone like yourself, do you go out and kind of consult with people or how does that happen? Yeah, with I, feel, I feel like um, I would say, Almost every, if not every call for a generator, standby generator system, people want the biggest, baddest generator for their entire home, which obviously, I mean, we support, we, 
install those ones all the time. But um, when you start going at like what appliances you have in your house and what's realistic with how much gas you have available, and then um, obviously it always comes down to price. So people see prices and um, like anything, people are always blown away. You know, yeah, they the, want the biggest, baddest till they see the price. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so then, we start, then I start kind of going over um, realistic options, like or not realistic options per se, but options like if I lived at that house, I kind of put myself in their shoes and I'd be like, well, you have an electric furnace, so there's really no chance you're going to power this, this, and that all with this um, Generac. So let's right. look at options to keep um, your lights on and, you know, small, like a refrigerator, all that kind of stuff, the normal necessities that we all have, like, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, and then obviously a lot of people have natural gas furnaces too, and those are usually pretty easy to accommodate on a generator, but we'll start and I'll show them, um, what it would take to do the biggest generator, which is initially what most people want with, you know, load sheds and everything. Like we talked about that. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll look at different, more affordable options and smaller options. If their gas meter can't accommodate the generator, because a lot of people don't think about the gas load, you know, it's just yeah. like the electric load on your panel. You can only put so much electric stuff in your house without upping the amperage to your house. It's the same with the generator. Um, so we have to deal with our uh, local gas companies and accommodating a bigger gas meter to accommodate the generator. Sometimes they max out at a certain point. Okay. So we work around that. <laughs> so there are quite a few variables that we do work around, but I would say most of them start with yeah, the biggest, baddest generator. And then yeah. we kind of size what's appropriate for that install in that specific location. Cause there's so many variables at each house with clearances and everything like that. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When you're talking about gas loads, let's say, uh, so let's say someone has, you know, is using natural gas because it's pretty common instead of propane, unless you're out in the rural areas. So uh, do you have to uh, contact the utility company for the gas supply and then change out the meter or what's, what's typical? Yeah. So we have our basic um, gas load diversity calculator that we use. There's a formula that they use as well. And um, if it's, if it's, pretty obvious that they have enough a big enough gas meter because there's labels on the gas meter that tell what the flow is basically right and you could do the quick math um depending on what they want we could get away with just doing the generator install um, without confronting without talking to the gas company but most of the time they size those gas meters for that specific house when it was built so um i'd say most of the time the gas meter does need upgraded um, which isn't a big expense it's all done with the homeowner and the gas company and i help coordinate that as best as i can okay Uh, a lot of times they could up that gas meter a couple of sizes to accommodate more gas flow and if it gets to a point to where they want the biggest baddest one and their gas meter can't be upgraded then you get into a project coordinating with the gas company and they look at what it takes to get a new gas line well that that seems like a lot of hassle so is it more popular for people to just put a tank in and go propane on the standby generator from my specific experiences, um, I'd say it's more popular for people to size their generators around what they could get with their gas meter or just okay. a gas upgrade. Got yeah. it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. And then I guess the question I had that a lot of people are thinking about too is, so if I have, okay, I start with the biggest, baddest, and then reality hits me. So if I, if I have to make choices, like what are common priorities people choose to have uh, run by the, the standby generator? Um, typically freezers, like we talked about earlier, people always have multiple freezers in their garage and, you know, their house. So right. it's that, um, everybody wants Wi-Fi, of course. And then, um, lighting basically to get to your front door, to your living room, to your bedroom. Um, a lot of people have sleep pap machines. Um, so they want to make sure they have power in their bedroom for that kind of stuff. Um, I've also looked at different houses that people are on hospice care. So they want to prioritize obviously those circuits where stuff might be plugged in for that, Uh, which you could really get away with, you know, eight to 10 circuits to power a majority of a normal home. And like I, like we were talking about, um, if you have natural gas, 
most likely you have a gas furnace. I mean, Cody will know more about that, yeah. but you have, a lot of people have gas furnaces still, and those just take a small 15 or 20 amp circuit. So, so they don't take a lot of load. To yeah, that. So yeah, you can still have heat in their house then. Exactly. Virtually yeah. any generator will run one of those if that's what you do have. So, yeah. Okay. That sounds good. And then I guess the last question I have before we get into the, the type of generator you carry is, so uh, I'm probably no different than a lot of people. I've got a lot of computer systems and electrical, you know, high-end stuff in my home. And the thing I'm always worried about is like, if this generator pops on, is it going to produce dirty power and cause a spike in the system? Yeah, no, that is a common um, question we get. And generators, they do, it is dirty power is a good way to put it. Cause obviously led lights, they, they're a lot more flickery, I guess. You yeah. know what I mean? There is more fluctuation, I guess, in the consistency. Um, most of the time when I present a generator, we also present a whole home surge protection that covers the entire panel and which protects the entire house on any surge of electricity. And if people are looking at doing standby generators, it's because they've lost power due to down trees and that kind of thing. So surge protection is already on most people's minds anyways. Um, not all panels could accommodate that. So obviously we go over options on how to you know upgrade all that stuff too. Okay. Um, but typically Generac is a pretty solid generator and there, I, I haven't dealt with any cases where the Generac coming on has produ- produced a surge that damaged anything within the yeah. home. That'd be more on when the power goes out initially. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. That sounds good. And then, uh, cause we got a minute left for this segment. I just want to start in here and then we'll close out in the, in the beginning of the next segment. So why do you guys, why do you guys, uh, choose Generac? Uh, Generac's the best around that I know of. They have, um, their technology that lets us monitor and the homeowners monitor what's going on with the generator. Yeah. They, they have, have that mobile, mobile app, I guess is yeah, pretty yep, cool. The mobile, the mobile link and it lets you know what's going on in the hours and the startup cycles. And if it's been ran, if the battery's good, if everything's in working order, so when the power goes out, you know, it's going to work. So with Generac, you have that basically peace of mind right there too. Got it. Okay. Sounds good. Kurt, thank you very much. We come back. Uh, I got a couple more questions to wrap up on standby generators with Kurt Hodge of Seatown Electric Plumbing, Heating and Air. And then we're going to introduce Cody Martin. He's back, HVAC tech and manager. We're going to talk about uh, oil to gas conversions. We're going to talk about no heat situations and some furnace maintenance, which you should be doing now so you don't get into an emergency situation like no heat. With that, I'm Pete. This is Home Matters, Sky Radio 97.3 FM. All right, we're back. This is Pete with Home Matters, Sky Radio 97.3 FM in the great state of Seattle. Um, we're having a great discussion here with Seatown. I love Seatown. If you guys go, if nothing else, uh, we're talking about standby generators, and this is something that more and more people are getting uh, as you get sick and tired of power outages, even with a great grid uh, in Washington, we know doesn't matter whether you're in uh, Snohomish County, King County, Pierce County, Thurston County, all the way up and down the corridor. We have snows, we have wind storms, we have things that knock out power and now we're getting uh, substation attacks too. So, and I don't think those are going away anytime soon either. So, this is something to have your own generator, have your own uh, power station at your home. A mini power station is a really good thing. Um, one of the things, Kurt, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to ask, and actually I'm going to have uh, Darlene come on the show. You guys have met Darlene before. She's a county executive with with uh, 
with Cairo. Darlene, you had a question uh, that you wanted to ask Kurt about uh, the Generac systems. Right. And I'm familiar with C-Town because they came over and did our a wonderful job with our heat pump. Yeah. So now, because of the snowstorm, and we lost our, our electricity for quite a bit. <laughs> You're probably got- sick and tired of that, too, I bet. Huh? <laughs> I know. We had our candle flashlights. Oh, your candles are well. That's good. Well, if you want to live back in the 1800s, yeah. <laughs> and it smells nice now. <laughs> But, uh, Kurt, I was wondering, what is the average range? I know it, it, it matters what area, what kind of a house and all that, but if you can give me the average range cost of a standby generator, that would be great. Yeah, so for our standbys, ranging from the 7.5 kilowatt all the way up to 24 kilowatt, I'd say, obviously, like you said, there's a lot of variables for each install that affect that price. But um, the average price um, out the door, you get anywhere from fifteen probably to 25000 um, depending on a specific install. And if some of them go up from there and some are probably a little less than that too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. So, cause that, you know, that's an investment uh, at that price range, but do you, so Kurt, do you guys, uh, do you have financing or how do you work that? Yeah, we absolutely, we have financing in all of our departments, plumbing, HVAC, electric, okay. generators included, and they have a lot of um, good options. They have options that are uh, basically same as cash, no interest options on okay. smaller obviously so people that like they might have ten thousand to put on it now but they need you know 10 months 12 months to come up with the rest those options are great for that and then we also have longer term options with interest and all that kind of stuff so um we try to make it as possible as doable as we can for any any situation and is is the application process pretty easy for financial it's all all pretty easy um it's all it only takes a matter of minutes and um, brochures that we give everybody on that because it's I'd say, you know, 90, if not more, 90% of our generator jobs are financed just because yeah. that is such a big chunk of money to put out at one time. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Well, darling, you can make a choice. You can sit at home with candles and flashlights or you can get a standby generator. <laughs> uh, all right. One, thing, one last thing before we go into HVAC, I do want to mention, guys, uh, and I did look this up because I know this is another thing that's important to everybody that are homeowners out there. Remodeling Magazine, which a lot of people uh, use as kind of the foundational uh, data source, their 2021 report showed that a home standby. Now, this is not a portable. This is what Kurt's been talking about, like with Generax and home standby generators is a 150 percent payback in home value for ROI. So, you know, if you look at a lot of things you do in your home for home improvements, uh, that's really high. So it's a good investment to make in your home. Plus, you know, with our climate in Washington state, it's really nice to have where you can sit and be cozy, have the lights on, have your computers on. It's just a nice thing. All right, Kurt, thank you very much for all of the information. I appreciate it. I may come back to you, but uh, you can, you can uh, take her easy now. All right. It was great talking to you guys. I'll be here on standby. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you'll be on standby. There you go. Yeah. If you go on a standby generator, call them at 360-C-Town or visit ctownservices.com. All right. Now we got Cody up. Cody is the HVAC uh, tech manager. And uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, first I want to get into, because I'm sure You've had a lot of these in the last few weeks, uh, a no-heat emergency situation calls. I've had quite a few no-heat emergency situation calls. Yeah. How, now, first question I got to ask is, I know you guys are big and you're growing like crazy, but how 
you handle all those kind of calls? Because you must have got inundated. Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting. We go with a weather forecast. It's a huge okay. part of it um, for kind of knowing what's coming on your schedule, kind of predicting what's coming on your schedule. And a big part of it also is having emergency holds on the schedule. So okay. you don't book for your full capacity. That would be a very terrible idea this time of year. Uh, yeah. We would always book about half capacity, knowing okay. that, um, you know, especially on Monday mornings and things yeah. like that over the weekend. Um, now, we take as many calls as we can over the weekend as, as well. Um, but to your point, there's just so many of them. It's it's hard. Well, I guess you could go on Cairo and do ads of like I warned you. <laughs> yeah. well, I've been telling people for years. You know, I've been in the industry 14 years in this area, and I'm like, man, it gets cold. And Yeah, hot. people know every time. This is every year. Cycle. So yeah. Same cycle. All right. So in a no heat situation, um, well, here, okay. So I'm going to tell you guys a true story. This is actually happening to me right now. So I have a heat pump system and it's been getting cold and I have a backup propane system in my house, which Cody would come out and take care of if I was in his area. But the problem I had is we get, we're getting down into colder temperatures where the emergency backup system, the propane system, Except for the fact that the gas valve is not working right now. So we're without heat in half of our house and it's freezing. And in the morning I get up, it's about 42 degrees in part of the house. And if you've ever been in 42 degrees, when you walk out in a part of your house, you will wish that never happened to you. So uh, I just wanted to be honest with you guys that even guys like me that do, you know, home improvement stuff, it happens to us all. Um, so, um, Cody, what's like with a no heat situation, what are the most common things? Mine was the gas valve, but what are the most common things that cause a gas furnace to fail? Yeah, I mean, a gas valve is a big portion of it. Um, A lot of times it is just failed heat exchangers, which is kind of where the burned gases go up and out of. Sometimes you don't know that until you do like a maintenance or something. Um, But what that does is it releases carbon monoxide in the house and which is... yeah. Which is dangerous. Yeah. Right. Super dangerous, but it doesn't smell. Right. And you can't, you can't see it, hear it, feel it. Yeah. Um, and so, you and not only that, but it doesn't rise. It sits on the bottom by the floor. So it's right, right around by your bed where you're laying down sleeping. That is correct. Yes. Um, but yeah, so stuff like that. And then, and then a lot of it is just electrical circuitry. So the blower motor starts heating up, gets hot. A lot of people forget that they have a filtration system in their heating system. And if that filter is not replaced pretty commonly or frequently, um, it causes issues inside the furnace with the heating up electronics mainly. Yeah. And now, so I have to ask you, because, you know, that's the thing. And every every time we talk about this, this is like people, well, they invented new grout so you don't have to clean your grout in your bathtub because no one seals their grout anymore. Or I don't think they ever did. But with you guys, we talk about this over and over again. But yet, I'm sure, do you see a lot of people who haven't changed their furnace filters in a long time? What what filter? Yeah, that's a, that's about that's about it. Yeah, we get that a lot, man. So how do you? Okay, so we know this is a problem, and I I know C Town is one of the, if not the most innovative, one of the most innovative uh, HVAC companies in the Puget Sound area. How do you guys uh, do? You, do you have this part of your maintenance program, or how do you make this so this problem goes away for people? Well, if you have a maintenance with us, um, then we're obviously going to bring it to your attention, right? When we're doing the maintenance. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, Justin and I actually in-house are making some videos okay. uh, for some of our homeowners and, and maybe not our homeowners, just customers that are, you know, um, looking and searching, uh, looking for answers that we'll post online as well. 
Okay. Um, we're going to do a lot of videos um, about furnaces, filters, heat pumps. I think that'd be great. And, you know, you might want to talk to Brandon about having some kind of a Amazon style subscription service that they, people can sign up for that just ships the filters to their home to remind we're, them to replace it. We're working on that. Yeah, we're working okay, on, good. on like an online store. So when you come to our website, then there's a, you can kind of shop from our website a little bit. Well, it'd be nice, but I, I would love to have it just be on subscription. So it's, I know, rule of thumb, I've, and make, Cody, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like with pets, you should be replacing at least every three months at the outside and no pets maybe every six months. But these things got to get replaced, especially with dogs and cats with all that dander. It, it you know, gets, it clogs up the filter. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the more, you know, some, some people run their fans more commonly, you know, because you have a whole home filtration system, they want to utilize that. Well, the more you run your fan, the dirtier yeah. the filter gets. So the more frequently you need to change yeah. it out, you know, it's one thing I wanted to ask, cause you, you brought this up a couple minutes ago. Um, you, cause I, I get the, Hey, you don't change your filter. You're going to overheat some of the components and that's going to uh, artificially age them. But what, what causes an exchanger to, to go? Uh, mostly time, you know, a lot, a lot of it's time, some of it's initial setup. So if your fans running, uh, if your fan speeds running too low, then your heat exchanger is heating up too much from the get go. Right. Okay. A fan speed has to kind of be dialed into, and a lot of it can be, um, it's just from general use and time, but a lot of it is from not changing the filter properly. And which is such a simple and inexpensive thing to do. You would never think a little paper thing would take out a whole system, but it does. Yeah. And cost about how much? The filter itself or the system? No, the, the actually the repair. <laughs> We're talking probably at least several hundred dollars going up from there, right? Oh, yeah. Minimum several hundred dollars. I mean, a blower motor, a circuit board or something like that. Major yeah. component would be, you know, upwards of $1,500, $2,000 pretty easy. Yeah. Well, so. so guys, I'm not trying to lecture you, get on you, but change your filters, please. And uh, call C-Town at 360-C-Town. Sounds like Cody and the gang is setting up a place for you guys to go order these. Uh, I always thought, you know, some HVAC company that creates a subscription would be the one to go to because then they just show up on my door and that reminds me to put them in, <laughs> which would be great. So we get back. Uh, I'm going to continue with Cody. I got a couple more questions about no heat. We're going to talk about oil to gas conversion too as well, because a lot of you guys in Seattle, or especially Seattle, King County have oil furnaces. And I'm going to, I'm going to share with you a shocking secret about how much you can save if you go from oil to natural gas. With that on beat, this is All Matters. Carrot in Cairo Radio, 97.3. All right, we're back. This is Beat with All Matters, Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Having a great discussion here with uh, Cody Martin, who is uh, HVAC tech and manager for. Um, so he does it all. He works. Uh, do you work out in the field too, Cody? Uh, not so much anymore, but I have, I mean, I did for years and years. Just, I still go out to the you field. manage everything, all the people. How big is your group now? It's got to be pretty big. Just on the HVAC side? Yeah. Uh, we're about 50, close to 55 people. Ooh, man, you guys grew like crazy. Yeah. Well, hey, anybody listening, if you want to have a great career, uh, give these guys a call. Uh, Cody, you take calls for people who are interested in wanting absolutely. to come interview? Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you guys, uh, in the trades is a great profession and it's very well respected. And not only that, but you can make good living, um, at this. Um, so I'm not saying, Hey, everybody go do the trade. Some of you guys want to go to university. I did, but I, I'll tell you, uh, 
being in the trades is something that's very honorable and it's always something new and you get to work with people, different environments. And not only that, um, if you want to go to mynorthwest.com forward slash home matters, uh, we have a great show with the founder of this company, Brandon Phillips. And uh, we talk all about his values and the family system. And you guys, I think, came on too. And a lot of you guys get hired because someone in the company reached out <laughs> and that's how uh the family grows at uh at Seatown. So that's really cool. All right, Cody. Um one thing I want to ask you is um we didn't talk so you know we were talking about you know no heat and a lot of people are thinking oh you know gas furnace propane natural gas but what about heat pumps because I have a heat pump Darlene has a heat pump and a lot of people have heat pumps and so are there any failure mechanisms or things that happen when the weather gets cold for heat pumps? Yeah, it's the same kind of deal. If your coil gets dirty, your heat pump can, you know, have excessive wear for not a lot of reason. Um, if you know, you should just keep that clean. With so, how do you just kind of just use air compressor and blast it out, or what? What's well, a lot of people use more like a uh, a really well. I don't want to say a uh, pressure washer, but almost like a, one of those little bucket wands. Um, okay. Like a spray for, but it's more of a fan spray because you don't want to pierce the the pin fins in there, right? Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to crush those fins down. That'll yeah. You know, um, negate your airflow even more. Right. But right. defrost cycle is probably the biggest thing. When it gets really cold outside, defrost is a normal operation and it really freaks people out. Yeah. Um, makes a big loud noise. And you look outside, what's going on with my heat pump? Then you see a bunch of steam coming yep. off of it. I, in fact, I, we were talking off air with Cody. I had that happened this morning. It started squealing. All of a sudden, I saw this big, <laughs> I thought, oh man, the thing blew up. Yeah, and that's normal operation. You wouldn't think it would be, but it's yeah. a very normal operation. All it's doing is basically just uh, thawing out that coil. Is, yeah. is that so in the heat pump? Because heating is one cycle, air conditioning is the reverse cycle. That's why heat pumps are great because you get heating and cooling. But so is it just reversing the cycle to do the defrost cycle? Is that what it's doing? Effectively, yes. Okay. Yep. And that's what blows it out. You got that coil a little bit, uh, just to thaw it back out, and then it runs back to normal operation. Yeah. Yeah. Then it returns to normal. It's running fine now. Everything's yeah. good. I actually knew that. So I was kind of laugh a little bit when you said that because I, I actually witnessed that this morning when it was frost on the ground. It was cold. So, all right. Uh, let's go to, um, I do want to talk about this before we run out of time with you, Cody. Um, can you talk first about uh, oil to gas conversions? Cause there's a lot of, do you, you still, do you do a lot of oil to gas conversions in the Seattle area? Yeah, we do a lot of oil to gas and we do a lot of oil to electric, meaning heat pumps. Oh, so, okay. Okay. Both. Um, and I, it's getting less and less because there's such a push to get oil out, right? So yeah, a lot of people yeah. have already done the conversion, but there's still quite a bit of it out there. Can you talk to me about like the convert? So what's the process of this to go from like oil to, we won't talk about heat pumps today. We'll get in the future show, but just to convert from like oil to natural gas or propane, what is that? What is that? include for somebody like you to come out and do that? Yeah. So it really just depends on the home configuration and setup. Obviously that's a common thing in trades. Everything's a little bit different, but yeah. usually, typically we're, we're using your existing ductwork. So, I mean, you're, you're changing out the actual furnaces, which is a huge savings right there. Yeah. Right. And, and we can always, not always, but typically we can accommodate to that ductwork, even if there has to be slight modifications or something like that, you know, yeah. but you're changing the furnace itself out, um, doing some slight ductwork modifications just to reconfigure a little bit. Yeah. Um, oftentimes putting a new filtration system in because the old ones have them like inside the furnace cabinet themselves. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you're just getting the fuel source there. Some people already have a gas meter there. If you already have a gas meter there, we do all of our own work in house. So we have a couple dedicated gas pipers that come run 
Uh, oh, so they're doing all the bends and fittings and everything. Yep. Yep. Okay. We do all that wow. stuff. We have threaders on the truck. So we cut and thread all of our own pipe. Yeah. And that. Um, and so if you already have a gas meter, there, pretty simple. Just run the gas pipe from the meter to the new unit location, hook it up, you're good to go. Uh, if you do not have a gas meter, that's calling in our area, PSE, typically sound energy. Okay. Uh, and PSE will send out a, they usually get like a project manager involved. They send them out. They do kind of a configuration of your home, uh, see how much gas you're wanting to use. And then okay. uh, a couple of things you can either pull off your neighbor's line sometimes. Um, and I don't mean use your neighbor's gas, but underground kind of why off that line and come up to your own meter. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes it's running a, a new line from the street. And when I, when they do that, it can be, it pretty gets pretty high. pricey, doesn't it? Because they're charging per foot on that, aren't they? Yeah, it just depends. Uh, they know that you're going to be a customer for a long time. You're basically on a subscription service now with them, right? So the yeah. more gas you want to use in your house, the cheaper it is. Um, okay. You know, Oftentimes, people want to say, hey, I'm just getting a furnace, and that's it. And it's like, no, no, yeah. no. Tell them, tell them you're, you're going to buy the world from them. You know, tell yeah. them you're going to get a furnace and a generator. Furnace, generator, fireplaces, water heater, all of it, right? Oh, they love that. Yeah, but buy more from them, right? So they're going to make it cheaper for you in the in the initial you know run. And when they're running the line from the street, they uh, they use a company called Infrasource. Okay. And a lot of times, what they do is they vertical bore, so they don't have to like make these huge trenches or yeah, they don't have to dig it up from the surface. They can come underneath. Yeah, they can just go right right through. They don't have to mess your grass up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, minimal, you know, and they usually can. It's pretty impressive. They can get with about a six or eight inch radius of where they wanted to come up at. It's yeah. pretty, you could be 50 feet away and they come up within six inches of where wow. they thought they would. So, and then you guys, do you guys install the kit then, uh, the conversion kit or how, how do you, how does that work? Or is it just all just bringing gas to the house and then just, just bring, just bring gas to the house? Yeah. Okay. So if you're, if you're converting a oil furnace to a gas furnace, used to, they would do like conversion burners and things right. like that. Those are a thing of the past now. Okay. Um, yeah, the conversion burners, it's really hard to get parts for most people do not have access to parts for them. Okay. So even those are kind of going away. So look, before we run out of time, just so we can kind of wrap our heads around this. So do you, do you happen to know off the top of your head, Cody, like people who are burning oil in Seattle, like wh- how much are they burning per month? What What's the cost? Yeah. I usually know it on about an annual basis. And when you say annual basis, it's realistic for about those seven months or so that you use it for heating, you know, yeah. and there's a couple shoulder seasons. I would say the average, you know, home in between, you know, eighteen hundred and twenty five hundred square feet, give or take, in Seattle. Okay. Uh, you're you're right around two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars annually for okay. for gas. So let's say, okay, so you're running about two hundred bucks a month, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Or, yeah, or more. I mean, yeah, three, or more. Yeah, depending on what month it is. Okay, so if I've got two hundred bucks a month, and then if I go do a conversion from oil to gas, uh, with that kind of savings, with one hundred fifty percent savings. What, what's like, what is the, like, is there a kind of a price range, a uh, typical price range to do a conversion to install gas? Yeah, it really just depends. Um, but I mean, I would say an average conversion could go anywhere from, you know, seven, 8,000 all the way up to 20,000. Okay. Really so if you say an average of 10, right yeah. on the conversion. Okay. Okay. So what do, do you guys calculate like payback times uh, for the conversions at all? Yeah, we do. Uh, and it really just depends on your home. But a lot of our, our team that's in your house doing these consultations will will sit there and do a full analysis on what okay. works. So that'll help. Yeah. With that Absolutely. savings. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Well, Cody, thanks for coming on again. I really appreciate this talking about the, the oil to gas conversions and uh, the no heat situations. Uh, make sure you guys give them a call. I would say they should come out now 
before it becomes a no heat situation uh, to do your furnace maintenance. They do have a uh, partner program that, that you can get on too. that then you can put it on autopilot for years to come. It's 360-C-Town or go online at ctownservices.com. Cody, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you as well. Appreciate it. Yeah, and Kurt, if you're still there, thank you. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. With that, I'll beat this. Is Home Matters Car Radio 97.3.